Before we begin today's show, if you missed it, there was an awesome 30 for 30 documentary that aired last week. It's about the legendary Raiders owner, Al Davis, and his battles with the NFL. If you watched it and loved it, then you have to check out Jalen and Jacoby, The After Show, to hear a full breakdown of the film. And you can find it, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. The film itself is available on ESPN+, Plus, which, by the way, gives you thousands of live events, exclusive originals, the full 30 for 30 library, and more. Surprise the sports fan your life with a year's gift of ESPN+. Plus. Just visit ESPNplus.com slash giftyyear for more details. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. Kind enough to join us before the Super Bowl is from New York City, our New York-based specialist, Malika Andrews. Hello, Malika. Hi, Brian. It's a, a snowy, chilly day here, so that's what's going on on the East Coast. Malika is very excited because she has a new dining room table in her apartment. <laughs> it's and going to be some epic puzzling is going to take place this, there. This is both a, a commentary on the pandemic, life in the pandemic, and life in New York City. You are just very excited that you can have a dining room table where you can do puzzles. It's a table that's big enough that you can do puzzles on one side and then do work slash eat on the other side. Yeah, a six-person dining room table in New York City is cause for celebration. If we weren't in a pandemic, Please it would let be me cause know for when a party. Have six folks. Uh, <laughs> I will in 2025. Okay. And joining us from Los Angeles, the other end of the country, is Dave McMenamin, our Lakers specialist. Hello, David. Hello, Brian. Hello, Malika. When, when are we having a six-person dinner at your house, Dave? I, we, I wouldn't really accommodate six people in, in this shoebox of an apartment, but we could <laughs> we could try it. Dave, <laughs> Dave lives in Venice, and um, uh, I just want to report that where I live in the middle of the country, um, it will not rise above 12 degrees this week. So, Dave, when you walk out of your apartment <laughs> this week, I want you to think about it. It, it is. It, it's been beautiful. Uh, yeah, I can't complain about that part. Um, all right. So we haven't talked on, about the Lakers on the pod uh, really in length for a while. So, Dave, I wanted to uh, bring you on to talk about them. Um, and, you know, that's probably because... Nobody talks about the Lakers, Dave, when? When they're good. Because <laughs> obviously they would need to be struggling or there had to be some sort of drama uh, for us to turn our collective attention to a team that still has two of the top five players in the league and are on a fast course uh, without many hiccups so far to be defending their championship come July. Well, they are in second place in the West. They spent all last year in first place. They are half game oh, back of the oh God. Thanks for turning up the drama, Brian. Yeah, so look out. Um, they uh, they won in double overtime in our last night. The folks listening to this uh, will be listening to it on Monday, but Saturday night. Uh, double overtime game against the Pistons to salvage a season split against Detroit. Um, the thing about the Lakers that has, uh, that has shown through throughout this season – to me, is uh, one, they, their defense, despite changing a lot of their personnel. Uh, they didn't change over their their core players, that is true, but there was a lot of change to their personnel, including to their center position, and yet they're right back at the top of the league. In fact, even better than they were last year in defense. And the second thing is their depth. 
um, their depth, which which we which figured which figured to improve after they got um, they were able to get sort of a cycle away from uh, having to clear all that space, um, all that salary cap space. They've been able to make moves to to add to their depth, and and those two things have, have shown through. Um, Dave, as you've watched the Lakers this year, um, what have you taken away on sort of the big themes of why they've been so successful? Well, recently to talk about their depth, it's kind of counterintuitive, but their depth has become more of a strength by Frank Vogel making some tough decisions and recognizing that if I play 11 guys, some of those guys aren't going to get enough playing time to get the proper rhythm to have the type of impact they could have on the game. And so after they dropped two games in a row for the only time all season uh, on in the midst of that seven-game road trip that they had where they lost in Philly, and then they lost the second half of a back-to-back in Detroit with no Anthony Davis playing. The team had a powwow. I wouldn't call it a players-only meeting or anything like that, but they recognized that we should make an adjustment here. Uh, we're not accustomed to losing, and we shouldn't be losing. And Frank had to tell Markeith Morris and Wesley Matthews, two guys who had other offers on the market this past summer, uh, you know, Wesley left a championship contender in Milwaukee to come to LA that I can't play you right now because I need to find more minutes for Taylor Horton Tucker and Alex Caruso. They are young and hungry and have been performing well on both ends when they've gotten a taste of playing time. And I need to expand their minutes. It's going to help the team. That is been really key to their success over the last week and a half or so once that decision was made. And then overall, their identity is defense and LeBron hasn't always been on teams like that. Um, obviously you covered him in Miami on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, you cover him a lot, but, but those teams um, of course had that, the defensive identity, his second stint in Cleveland, it wasn't as strong there, but they are fully committed to that end. And LeBron is not the defender he once was, uh, but he is an attentive defender, a smart, talkative communicative team defender and that's what they know that they're going to have on any given night and with teams not being all that great on offense this year because of the shortened offseason not a lot of practice time it's it's helping them yeah malika um the one thing that the lakers have that um i really don't think any other team has Hmm. is they have the ability to drop into a gear they have an extra gear that sounds cliche but let me frame it a little bit. Um, they have in their back pocket, they rarely use it, but it's always going to be there for them. It's going to be there for them in the playoffs. Um, they can just put Anthony Davis at center. And uh, that's not something other teams have. Other teams don't have that thing to deploy. Um, and they also have LeBron, who is, in my mind, has been the MVP of the of the league so far. If we had to vote today, which I know is laughable. It's a quarter of the way in, but I would vote for LeBron. Shots and, fired, Tim Bontemps. Well, <laughs> yeah, who, do, who did Bontemps say he would have him be? No, no, no. Well, no, I'm just saying that he is reaching out to us uh, to find out who we want, who our MVP ballot would be of, as of now. At this point in the season. You called that laughable. Oh, come on. He does it every year. He does, I mean, the, <laughs> Our well, fans have to be paying attention. This is an annual thing for our boys. Well, I didn't. I didn't mean the project was laughable, but I, Brian, I know you're a nice guy. I'm just giving <laughs> Timmy some hard, hard times. He'll we always, we always appreciate that on the pod. Yeah. 
Um, and off of the pod. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in, in talking about, about that, not to go on, not to, you know, we say don't do the pod before the pod, not to do Tim's um, article before Tim's article, but in, in talking about LeBron's MVP caliber season, one thing that, that comes to my mind is the number of games that he has been able to play. When I look around the league this year at, at other premier players, whether it's because of COVID protocols with, with Kevin Durant, who I have been covering closely this season, or other guys that are in that upper echelon competing for, for MVPs, LeBron has consistently has he missed a game Dave I don't think so no nah, yeah. he's played in every game he's played in every single game and so that's something to me with the Lakers that, that also has been been standing out as they are shifting into that extra gear that you're talking about LeBron's always been there LeBron has been out there every single time and and in this season where the personnel has had to shift oftentimes with lots of teams because of injuries because of coronavirus protocols because of whatever it may be that is a, a real advantage for the Lakers yeah, over the last few years, LeBron has really sort of shifted on this because he would take back-to-backs off. Uh, you know, frankly, he sort of eased into the seasons. All the years in Cleveland, he eased into the seasons. And his first year in L.A., he was doing f- fine, but then he got hurt. Um, you know, Dave, he's really shifted his thinking there. And um, he he has said for a long time, but he's really embraced this now when he talks about I am a, I, I always want to be available to my teammates. And I don't think it's necessarily a, well, how do I want to say this diplomatically? It's not, uh, it's not a attempt to minimize Jordan, but I do think it's a, a way to sort of burnish his, I've said this before. It's a way to sort of burnish his resume, which is all those years in a row, all the, you know, the mental difficulty that I suffered, all of the changes, all of the exhaustion. Uh, I always, I always came back. I always, I was always able to, to, to ride through it. I was always able to pick myself back up and come back. And, and I do think that as he maneuvers his way to try to figure out how to, how to catch Jordan, I do think that's part of his case. And I'm not saying that's why he's playing back to backs, but I do think it's part of his mindset, Dave that he wants people to understand. I think that's a fair thing to say. When they played the Rockets last year in the playoffs, his biggest compliment paid towards James Harden was that he's always available. (laughs) And so if he's going to kind of plant the seed out there for if you are to be an NBA fan or an NBA observer or a viewer or reader and recognize that the best ability that the other guys out there isn't necessarily their scoring, it isn't necessarily their passing, it's the fact that they make themselves available. By complimenting James Harden, if you recognize and accept that compliment, it kind of reflects back at LeBron because he does the same thing. It's also a commentary on Kawhi too, right? Because there are people who thought that Kawhi had taken over the mantle um, as best player in the league after leading the Raptors. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this, there was this belief that LeBron after an injury plague season and the Raptors, you know, win that, uh, you know, that it was Kawhi's now and he was coming to LA and all this stuff. And I do think that that played into it as well, but I also think it's a legacy thing. But the other thing about LeBron, I mean, he's, you're right, Dave, as you mentioned earlier, his, you know, his defense, um, he basically in Cleveland, especially the last two years in Cleveland, um, he didn't really play defense until, February 23rd. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that you couldn't find clips of him uh, 
playing good defense in stretches, but he basically became a non-factor defensively uh, for most of the regular season. And then when it came time to ramp it up for the playoffs, he would begin to ramp it up. Um, his defenses last year in Cleveland, frankly, was um, uh, sub you know, suboptimal for sure, but subpar. He's completely flipped the switch on that. He is super active at the defensive end. His last year was one of the, one of the better, better defensive seasons he's had. Um, Dave, which game was it in uh, – in the bubble in the playoffs where he like had that incredible defensive play at the end. It was, it was that against Denver where he defended like Jokic and Murray on the last possession of the game. Yes. In the same possession. Yeah, you're right. It was against That's Denver. A top five defensive play of LeBron's career. Um, uh, you know, in a Western conference finals game, uh, you know, obviously the number one defensive play in his career is, is established. It was the block shot on Iguodala, but uh, his defense um, has just been, you know, just, so much better from front to back and it's set the standard. I mean, you know, LeBron was fine with the Cavs being, you know, ranking in the twenties in defense and just saying, okay, when the, when the time comes around, we need to get stops. We'll do it. And, you know, he got him to the finals all four years. So, you know, he wasn't necessarily wrong, but, you know, I think he's completely switched on that. The other thing, Malika, LeBron is shooting and I have no idea whether it'll last, uh, but he is shooting a career high 41% on threes. Um, he hit two big threes last night to uh, finish off the Pistons. Yeah, that was huge. And um, so last year uh, he shot 35%. Um, but he's, he's taking almost seven a game, which is a career high, 41% career high. And, um, you know, just saving the wear and tear on his body a little bit by shooting more from the outside. And that's a 41%. That's, that's certified deadly from out there, Malika. And I mean, this is a, you know, it's a three-point league and Dave has written in the past about how LeBron has um, extended his range and become more consistent from, from, from deeper and deeper, but that has also been a difference maker. I mean, look, when, when you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, like Dave said, when you have two of the top five players and then those players, one of them is, is playing like the front runner for MVP you can add his age, you can add all of these other things coming off of this shortened off season, et cetera, et cetera. What the Lakers are doing is impressive. Whether or not it will last, that's kind of what remains to be seen, right? But they are in a very good position right now based off of the way that LeBron is playing, based off of the way that they are, they're a well-rounded team. And this year, you know, you talked about how, it could come down. I mean, I, yeah, his, his shooting is impressive. But to me, the defensive end, when I'm thinking about some of the other contenders out there, that really, to me, is a question mark for a lot of teams. And right now, namely the Nets, and right now that that isn't there for the Lakers, and it could come down to that. But when you're shooting that at a lethal level like that, that that's balance and that's important. Dave, I still think I still think the Lakers are a little bit susceptible to the ebb and flow of their outside shooting their outside shooting tends to come and go but when well, you play such part of that defense, is well brian you know. did you catch frank vogel early in the year saying that lebron james is our best three-point shooter do you think lebron has ever been on a team in his entire life where he's been the best three-point shooter on that team no no way <laughs> no that, that like, caught me dead in my tracks I was, I was like, really and I, I followed up with him and he, you know, he just says that because you can shoot over the top, extend 
the defense that far uh, and he can create his own shot off the dribble. It's to shoot still it. the shot you want him to take. Yes, because he's so good at the other things. But it's not like the Lakers have slouched three-point shooters around him. But, you know, his first year in, in L.A., LeBron's first year in L.A., the Lakers were 28th in the league in wide-open three-point shots. It was a clear deficiency that they needed to address. And some of it was through different personnel pieces. Uh, but some of it was just like player improvement, player development. Uh, Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, those guys growing within the system, being more reliable as knockdown shooters um, was was a part of, of that story. And, um, you know, you, they went and targeted a guy like Wesley Matthews to play that role for the, the team this year. And as of right now, he's fallen out of the rotation. But you still have... You know, Anthony Davis started off really hot, and he's regressed to the mean a bit, uh, to to quote our guy Kevin Pelton, his favorite term. But there's enough guys on on the team um, that can make him. Talon Horton Tucker has a pretty good-looking three-point stroke. He hit one against the Pistons on Saturday night to beat the shot clock buzzer, and uh, I mean, that's not an easy shot to, to take and make, and it was a perfect swish. Well, Cantavius Caldwell Pope, when he came to the Lakers five years ago, now he's, this is his fifth year at the Lakers, fourth year at the Lakers. He was a 35% three point shooter, which is okay, but certainly a, a streaky outside shooter. He's shooting 47% this year from the outside. And, uh, you know, that makes it, you know, he got hot in the, in the bubble last year. And it was a huge difference for them. Um, but you're right about their player development. I think it's very, it's very simple to just say, well, they've got LeBron and AD. And a lot of times that's true, but uh, Caruso, and I'll even go so far as to say Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma is a, is a, he is, he has really over the last, I would say since the bubble, but um, I know that people who maybe tr- you know, chart his d- development a little bit more than I would, uh, would he maybe give him go farther back, but he really started to play better team defense last year as the season went on. And, um, you know, I think has started to more accept the role that he's in, in LA and has just become a better role player. I, you know, there was a time where I think he thought he was going to be a star. Maybe he still does. And I think, I don't know if he, you know, maybe he'll do that later in his career. But Dave, I feel like he's he's become a guy who, where it used to be feast or famine, who Frank Vogel, frankly, like I don't think he was in love with playing. Now I think he's become sort of a, you know, a, a nice fitting piece for them, who does defend a lot better, and can be uh, more serviceable in that three and D defend multiple positions category and the players that they need. And a big part of it is his willingness to you know embrace the tutelage of lebron and, and others in the organization and and trust that and say this is the right path the team success path and then to have that be backed up by the extension the contract the extension he got because what does he have to worry about now you know he has his puma deal he has his championship ring he has his fat contract he has the best basketball experience in the league being the most consistent. Well, he probably thought he was going to get a bigger contract years. than he well, got. It's, it, he got a handsome contract based yeah, on what his numbers sure. were. And now that he has all that, sure, you want me to just you know play tougher defense? You want me to crash the offensive glass? You want me to uh, have a chase down block on Michael Porter Jr. in transition in, in one of our tougher games in the, the early part of the, of the schedule uh, because I am trying to constantly try to make those little plays that make a difference 
it's been impressive uh, and it's shown a, a degree of maturity. And I think it speaks to why the Lakers organization had so much faith in having him be the guy that they need to hold on to when they made the deal for Anthony Davis because they they believe in him uh, in terms of his character, uh, his work ethic, and his growth. I mean, they, they want him to be part of the culture that they have here. All right, so let me ask you two contractual questions, Dave. So Dennis Schroeder, a uh, key offseason trade, uh, a guy that uh, they had their eyes on for a while. Um, get him, and, and he's been a nice fit. Um, he's 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 only he's only averaging 14 points, I say only, because that's his fewest since his fourth year in the league, third year in the league. But he's obviously been a real nice addition, takes pressure off LeBron. By the way, LeBron leads the league in assists last year. Uh, now he's still averaging like seven and a half, almost eight a game. It's the fewest he's averaged in five years. So um, it sort of frees him up to not as, not to handle the ball as much. Schroeder is eligible for an extension starting February 16th. Um, you have to wait so long after you trade for a player to extend him. He is a free agent in the offseason. Um, do you think the Lakers will try to extend him in this season, uh, do you think it's been a good enough fit? Do you think they'll spend the money? Because I think it would be pricey. He's not going to, you know, the free agent market is going to be thin in terms of overall talent and deep in terms of cap space. So it, it to, for him to give up unrestricted free agency, they're going to have to give him a good deal. Do you think the Lakers will look to do that? Do you think he's going to be a fit long-term for this team? It's a tough one, Brian. I- he has been very good for them so far. Uh, he was dynamite for the first 15 or so games and then had a little bit of a lull. And then actually over the last two games back to 20 plus points, uh, high assist numbers steals, obviously the defensive effort is there. There was a, a play in the Denver game late in the first half where he dove on the ball for a loose uh, dove on the floor for a loose ball. Didn't get it, but the ball was still rolling. So he got up, and thrust himself forward again, dove on the floor twice for the same loose ball. All that stuff matters. Playing with LeBron James with a championship expectation in the postseason is when we really see who a player is. I I think it would be, even though obviously they would be potentially risking losing him if you go through the playoffs and allow him to hit you know, the free agency market after everything is over, I, I need the proof in the pudding of what he does in the playoffs before I would extend him. What do you think, Malika? This is Dave's area. I, I don't know, truly. I mean, I, I think that this is um, – it is tough to play with LeBron in the playoffs, and he makes a good point. I think that – but it's easy in hindsight to say that, oh, it all worked, and so here's your contract. Guys like a vote of confidence. You know, this is – but – yeah, so like, I think Malik, like Malik to Brian to interrupt like Malik, I'm, there's some parallel to this reminds me of what you covered in Milwaukee a couple of years ago with Eric Bledsoe, right? Like they they extended him prior to the postseason beginning, if I if I recall sure. correctly. Yep, they did in and, January. Right. And so while of course that was you know good for him um when he didn't perform up to a, a certain standard in the playoffs, it almost became an amble around his neck. Right, when uh, they ended up trading it, it, two years later. Right, yeah, because they only pronounced uh, his struggles. Well, here's the thing about the Lakers. The Lakers, I don't know um, how much 
spend. I mean, you would say, well, they're the Lakers. They can spend whatever they want. Well, okay. Uh, the times aren't quite the same. I mean, they are getting hammered right now with, uh, with not having fans in the stands. And unlike a lot of these other teams that are getting fans back, I don't think the Lakers are anywhere close to getting fans back in that arena. And um, not only do now they have huge money that they owe LeBron and Anthony Davis um, and the luxury tax is going to be coming. And the other contractual thing that I was going to ask you about is with Taylor Horton Tucker, who will be a restricted free agent at the end of this season. And you say, well, he's restricted free agent. No big deal. Well, um, I've already talked to one team who told me that they think he could get there's enough interest in him, in, in him, and there's again the market is so thin that he's shown enough, Dave, that people think that he could get the Tyler Johnson poison pill contract. Now I mentioned this a few like a month or so ago on the pod, and I got the number wrong. I for some reason I had a crosswire in my head and thought that Tyler Johnson got 80 million. He did not get 80 million. It was four years and 50 million. Um, and, and, um, and, you know, I, I told the story at the time, but I'll tell it again. He was so blown away by the contract that he got sick and vomited. (laughs) Yeah. That was in the, wouldn't you? Yes. So, um, and the nature of the contract, I think I would make it sick from the way I celebrated that contract, not (laughs) the nerves. Yeah. So, um, but the point was, you know, Tyler Johnson had been very impressive and they thought the Heat might not be able to pay him. And this is a very strange uh, contract in the way it's done. It, it's, it's, a, it's a flaw in the, in the CBA. There's a reason for it, but I'm not going to get an all into that right now. But if, if a team signs him to that offer sheet, you know, if they were, if they were to come to Talon Horn Tucker and say, Hey, we're going to give you four years, 50 million. It, it, is is equally spread out on the team's um on the, te- on, the, on the team's ledger, but if the Lakers were to match an offer for that, it becomes mm-hmm. backloaded, <clears throat> and it's um you know like 20, 20 plus million a year in the last two years of it, and that would be when they'd be paying LeBron and AD huge huge money as you know I think LeBron's money goes up over fifty million at the did, end of that. Did Daryl Morey invent that with Jeremy Lin? Is, did the poison pill exist before that? Um. I mean, uh, I don't remember that, but I, we'd have to have Bobby Marks on to get yeah. chapter and verse. But, right. um, but anyway, my point is, is that like whether you think that about Taylor Horton Tucker or not, I mean, he's proven to be a very nice uh, developmental piece for the Lakers. Uh, you know, a guy who defends multiple positions. His arms are preposterously long. How actually tall is he, Dave? Six four, six five, but, but his I mean, arms his are arms are of of a six foot ten guy yeah. or, or taller. I mean, Brian, he has legitimate star potential. If I'm someone out there and I'm looking, if I'm a GM and I'm like, who's a guy that, if given more minutes and given more rain, could be a twenty five and five guy? Town Horton Tucker is on a very short list for me. Well, this is why this team I talked to said. And by the way, just to be clear, this team doesn't have cap space, so they can't do it. So it's not skin in the game. But they were like, yeah, um, you know, I'd give them that contract for sure. So the Lakers have to be aware of that possibility that, they, that they're going to have to pay him something in that neighborhood, uh, even though he's restricted. And um, his agent is Rich Paul. And Rich isn't giving the Lakers a discount. He just won't. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on. 
considering that they've got, you know, Kuzma's money coming on. I mean, I just like, I don't know if the, if the, you know, I don't know the Clippers, we kind of feel like they'll spend, you know, the guy who, who owns right. them with 70 billion, they'll spend whatever. I'm not sure the Lakers are in that position. Maybe they are, but the Lakers don't have the same backing as other teams in the league, despite them being one of the richest franchises. So it is something to be it's mindful. It's a wonderful question, though, Brian, because it makes us wonder when LeBron decided to come to L.A. Like, LeBron going to Cleveland for the second time, there was an understanding with Dan Gilbert, like, we'll let bygones be bygones, but let's be clear. You're going to do whatever it takes to have us contend for championships while I'm here. Is there the and same I, agreement with Genie yeah, Bus? I'm, I'm sure that's. Bus? I'm sure that that is true, and I'm sure the Lakers have immense streams of revenue. But well, then but, then we shouldn't worry about it then. Well, I'm just saying that when they made <laughs> that deal, we didn't know that the Lakers were not going to be able to get playoff revenue. Right. And that's fair. That's fair. For PPP fair. loans. Very fair. Right? Okay. Very fair. Yep. Uh, which yep. I know they were returned the money on the PPP loan, but my point is, um that the financial outlook has, has altered. And I'm sure the Lakers would have no problem getting a line of credit. I'm sure they're fine, but I'm just right. just pointing it out. Um, anyway, I thought, I, I think when I look at the Lakers, I see a team that is not only really, really good. They have a higher ceiling when they go to it because they have LeBron who, when he's healthy is a beast. And then they have AD that they can slip into the center position because I don't really think, Mark Gasol has been that impactful. Oh, great. I'm glad you brought up Gasol because I have some numbers and I wanted to get, I was going to wedge them in. If we moved on to the Nets, I was going to interrupt you and say, we need to talk about these before we go on to the Nets. All right. So I, I talked to our guy, Vincent Johnson from our uh, stats and information group last night, going into last night's game. And I think last night he might've had five points on one for three shooting. Uh, Gasol did, but going into last night's game, he ranked last in the league in points per game among all starters who had played at least eight games in the starting lineup. He ranked 158th out of 165 in field goal percentage, right around 37%, and dead last in field goals attempted per game. So he is Dennis Rodman on the 90s Bulls, Minus the seventeen rebounds. Okay, and the that's a pretty big it. minus. minus that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying, like, remember watching those Bulls teams? Like, oh my, it's right. so weird. He doesn't get shots, but he's all it's the other. Kind of like stuff. Draymond right now. Well, Draymond is more on the Rodman thing because Draymond is is had you know fifteen made assists, a huge impact, block, yeah. stuff like that, right? Gasol, he's there and he is anchoring their defense, calling out the right schemes, being in the right places. They're the number one defensive team in the league, so there has to be value in that role. There is, uh, but you're not playing them in the fourth quarter. That's true. So in the playoffs, when it, you know, like I'm not saying that Gasol couldn't help them win a playoff game here and there. I'm just saying that if if it gets right down to it, they have AD that they can say, okay, go out there on Joker. So um, for, for a minimum guy, Gasol's, you know, it's fine. I'm just – saying it, they have it's fine them. i mean they had better minimum guys last year or javel was a little bit above the minimum but yeah but it's fine um okay so uh it's and it's so funny like um i have no questions about the lakers whatsoever uh a year ago i was i had a lot of questions about them and they answered all of them and uh and you, you take your hat off to them when, when, when you're not sure about a team 
and they answer the questions, you say, champs, congratulations, you, you are who you are. And I feel very comfortable in their favorite status. Just like I thought that the Clippers were going to answer those questions. They failed those questions. And now, even though they've been playing well, I don't feel good about it. Um, they rank 30th in the league. And uh, by the way, the Clippers rank 30th in the league and uh, offense in the clutch, by the way. Number one offense yeah. in the league overall, 30th in the clutch. Uh, red flag there. Um, the Aaron you know, Rodgers of the NBA. Oh, I don't know enough about the NFL. I assume that's a. He's 0-42 in his career. My buddy sent me the stat today. He's 0-42 in his career when trailing a team with a winning record in the fourth quarter. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. The team that will be the number one offense once everything normalizes, because they're still climbing up the, the charts, is the team Malika covers uh, most of the time, is the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Malika, uh, I have covered some dominant teams in my time covering the NBA. Uh, I remember the Miami Heat. Uh, when they, I mean, they didn't necessarily dominate in the half court, but when they got out in transition, when they would start these stretches where their um, pressure defense would create turnovers, they were as fearsome as a team as there's probably ever been. And the Warriors in their 73-win season, and then after they got Durant, there were just times you couldn't stop them. I don't know if I've ever seen a more fearsome offense um, <laughs> than the Nets have right now. And part of it is because... They have such great complementary shooting and that all three of those stars, Kyrie, Durant, and Harden, are so great isolation. So not only are they great when the ball's moving around, but they're great when they are in isolation. And so they are an incredible offensive team. Uh, I think that they have a great chance to be the number one offensive team of all time by their, by their rankings in the end. Um, but obviously, defensively, it's, it's a mess, and you've been there every step of the way. <laughs> they uh i mean i don't know where to start brian <laughs> i mean if you they've they've been incredible offensively i mean they're a a fun team to watch when they're clicking but that doesn't mean necessarily right now the question for the nets has been and kevin durant was asked the other day essentially your offense has the potential, like you said, to be out of this world fantastic, to be record-setting and incredible. 
So how good does your defense need to be? Does it just need to be good enough or does it need to be excellent in order for you to achieve your ultimate goal? Because when you load Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, not to mention, you know, you paid $40 million to something to that tune for DeAndre Jordan, the expectation immediately is to win a championship. That's it. It's not to make it out of the East. It is not to make it to the finals and have a good show. It's not to make a deep playoff run. It is to win. And right now, the Nets, we saw them put up 146 points against the Wizards, but allow 149. They have been an incredibly fun team to watch offensively. You mentioned the Clippers. They squeaked out a win there, but they've also been routinely falling down by double digits and then having to climb back. And so Kevin Durant and Steve Nash have both told me, no, it needs to be great. We, But this is going to be a test of the, the uh, time old, you need to have a top 10 defense at least to win a championship, except for a couple of teams here and there. So can the Nets climb up into, can they be 11th? Can they be 10th? And I do not believe so. That's tough. That's going to be really tough. But this is a paradigm shift. I mean, I, I don't think I, they need it personally, but go for it. Um, <laughs> You know, we're in a league right now where the offense, I mean, this, the offense being played in the NBA right now is just, it's just, it's incredible. I mean, I, I am routinely seeing teams shooting over 50% and mm-hmm. losing. Um, like it happens almost every night in the NBA. You know, it, it normally would be if you shot over 50% in a game, your record in those games would be like, you know, maybe it would happen. For a good team, maybe it would happen 15 times in a season, 18 times, and you'd go like 16 and two. Now there's teams routinely shooting over over 60 percent for not routinely, but you know there's been a handful of games where team, teams are shot over 60 percent in games this year. No, it's been a where's the defense year overall. Uh, yeah, and I mean like the game that was on uh, ABC on Saturday night, um, uh, Mavericks the for Mavericks Warriors. Warriors. I mean it was an it was a really fun game to watch. Steph had 57. Luca had 42, came right down to the final minute, you know, on a national showcase game, uh, everything you could want. Um, but when you watch that game, like there was the teams moved into their plays without like saying that there was no ball pressure is that doesn't sum it up. Like the teams would go into their plays and they were so comfortable that it was just a matter of which open shot they got. Um, and so the league right now is not in the nature of where that stat about top 10 defenses came from. And that's a part we've moved that to that direction in the league just in the last four or five years. But it's also as a result of this COVID, the, the result of these back-to-back abnormal seasons, you know, just the nature of the way the game is being officiated, the 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 nature of, you know, everything. And so maybe Malika that number isn't accurate right now. Maybe you don't have to be a top 10 team. I still think you have to be able to get stops. And I don't like the way that the Nets are playing right now. I don't think is championship basketball, but they don't have to, I don't think they have to be great. I, I, I might think that Kevin might be wrong about that. Yeah. Well, look, 
the Nets should probably hope that that's not the case. And it's, you know, that that could also be a, a case of saying what you know kind of needs to be said, what people want to hear is you need to be great defensively. But that goes back to kind of what we were talking about from from the Lakers earlier is, is if, you know, a lot of people are talking about whether or not if the Nets are able to make it out, if they face the Lakers, if they're, what, where does it come down to? Is, is this going to be a championship that's won on the defensive end, or is it going to be one where you're, where you're shooting the lights out? But the thing with the Nets, remember now Norvell Pell just played in his first game against the Philadelphia 76ers over the weekend and picked up a foul within 17 seconds of, of playing. Right. And uh, Steve Nash kind of said, yeah, you know, this, there's going to be some growing pains here, but until he checked in though, the only true center they had was Deandre Jordan. Nick Claxton hasn't played a single minute this game, this season. He's been hurt all year. Uh, they traded away Jared Allen who had won the starting center minutes. And so truly Deandre Jordan is their only, true center. And so when you're talking about defense, you're talking about rim protection, you're talking about securing offensive boards. Those have been big issues for the Nets. It's not just when it's coming down to the wire, locking down, you know, so Norvell Pell might not be the answer, but right now when you're looking at their roster, their, their center position is so incredibly thin that there are times at least that, their small ball is with Kevin Durant at the five sometimes. He's their best option. <laughs> and and Steve Nash has said he's their he's their best defender. Steve Nash has said we believe Kevin Durant is going to be setting the t- he's not only our best defender, but he's the key to making the big three work because he's the most adaptable player. So let me just put this in, in context for you. So in the 2016-17 season, which was the um the first year of Durant with the Warriors. A team that was dead last in the NBA in um, in defense mm. um, gave up 110.6 points per possession. That would rank 20th right now, and that's wow. just four years. That's that's okay. wow. <laughs> if you go back, let's go back to 2000. Let's let's go back 10. You know, that's not. Let's go back to 2012-13. So this would have been the Heat's second title year. That year, the Heat were number seven in defense uh, when they won their second title. Charlotte was the worst defense in the league at that that year, um, one hundred eight point nine per one hundred possessions. Let's see where that would rank this year. So I'm not even like going back to like I'm not talking about like Bill Russell days here. I'm just I'm talking about within the last decade. Well, Brian, I mean, is it is it the seven seconds or less Suns? Wouldn't they rank like twentieth in pace or something like that? Yeah, um, something like that. By the way, that right. would be tenth. So, so the team, so Charlotte, who was in thirtieth in two thousand thirteen, they would be tenth. They would be they would qualify as a, a championship contending defense. So, um, I kind of want to sort of split the difference there by saying, yeah, you do have to get stops, but like, let's not pretend that you have to be. Um, you know, the sure. 2005 Spurs, sure, you know, sure, or the 2004 P- uh, Pistons to, to get this done, you know, right? And and that's why, you know, Steve Nash has said that it, it's not yet time to dig into the stats, but this is going to be, year, be a year that tests that theory if they are going to kind of uh achieve that that goal of of being a championship contender and. You know, it's it's one of those things where 
they are setting that ideal, I think, of being a top 10 defense, probably knowing that maybe that is out of reach. So that they, because right now they really don't have a defensive identity. And so if they say that, if they, you know, write that up on their metaphorical wall, that this is what we're, we're aiming for, then when they, and if they fall slightly short of that, it's like, well, but this was, this was our Mount Everest. This is what we were trying to accomplish. And they didn't, they didn't really have any metric for it before. The the Suns would still rank pretty high in pace, Dave. Uh, So this year they would still be number one, the 2006, the 2005, six Suns would still be number one. Um, but uh, your point is well taken. There's a lot more teams that are in that in that range. Okay, yeah, um, it must have been a couple of years ago where I, yeah. maybe Tom Haverser or someone pointed out that they were they would not have maybe even been in the top ten or whatever. So yeah, it depends. I mean, the Suns they sped up. Um, they they sped up as that one. It depends on which year you you pick out of that. But right, uh, your point is well taken, which is that the league is changing. You know, the league yep. is changing. Um, Malika, do you think I, I have said that I still think that the that the Nets can make you know two or three roster moves? There's going to be buyout guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't I think they should be able to get a player or two that could help them. They don't have to get a, you know, they don't have to get you know mid prime Ron Artest. <laughs> you know, yeah, and and Sean Marks has said our roster is not complete. You know, he he has said that they are still assessing what needs they have to fill what what spots they need to fill and right now primarily they don't well one the nets don't practice but when they do practice (laughs) (laughs) when they do practice they don't practice offense what what they're practicing is defensive um schemes when they're looking at film that's primarily what they are what they're looking at and so it's been made pretty clear that that's what their hole is they're not missing offensive talent right and even when you look down down roster a lot of the guys that they have especially because they've been playing James Harden with James Harden with their second unit their second unit doesn't have an issue scoring Joe Harris has been playing several minutes with that group um so you're right Sean Marks has said that we're assessing our needs now it's been made pretty clear what their needs are I still think between now and when rosters lock down for the playoffs, there are going to be some shifting parts with this team. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. 
ESPN Radio and the Undefeated, celebrating black history always. Lift every voice and sing. The shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, prompted NBA players to boycott playoff games. Turning anger into action, they convinced several owners to turn arenas into polling sites for the upcoming election. The initiative came to fruition a few months later, when the 2020 election had one of the highest turnouts of African-American voters in history. Black History Always, The Undefeated, and ESPN Radio. All right, so I also want to talk to you about the Bucks. The Bucks are the second in the Eastern Conference of 15 and yeah. 8. Um, they, it's interesting, you know, last year the Bucks were, they had some of the best defensive numbers in the history of metrics. Um, which led to their uh, their number one overall seed, did not lead to playoff success. Mm-hmm. They have not been as good defensively this year. They've been mm-hmm. outside the top 10 uh, for a lot of the year. They've crept into the top 10. They're now eighth in the league in defense. Um, offensively, uh, where they've, they've generally been good, um, they rank second. Um, they rank 16th in the league, though, in clutch offense. Mm-hmm which is a key thing for them because can they get two can they get two points under pressure now i will say with these rankings like even at this point in the year there hasn't been that many clutch games like if they have a clutch if they have a if they have a clutch game where they go like four out of five shooting all of a sudden they may climb from 16th to like seventh i don't want to freak out too much about it but are they a materially different team compared to last year when their terrific regular season did not lead to the postseason that they won Yes and no. You know, you mentioned the the terrific regular season to the postseason. That's been the story of the Bucks for the last two years is they've had these fantastic regular seasons and then have fallen short twice, uh, once against Toronto. And then last year, their second round exit to the Miami Heat in the bubble. So this year, people who cover the Bucks daily, I, I want to borrow this phrase, the Bucks are learning to find their new normal. And that seems to be the case of the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, they have kind of been trying to employ a little bit of a new offensive system, but haven't fully taken a, a step into completely embracing it. So they are kind of straddling this line between the new and the old. Drew Holiday was was expected to be a very good piece. I think he's exceeded those expectations in some ways of how he fits in with the Milwaukee Bucks. And for the last two years, they've been great in the regular season and then have fallen short in the playoffs. So this year, it seems to me as if they can, they're trying something new. If it proves to be that they can crack out of that excellent record setting, uh, regular season and that they have a fine regular season, a good enough regular season to get them into the playoff positioning they want, but using that time to employ something that's a little bit different to make adjustments, which has been a, a knock on, on Mike Budenholzer and then have that materialize yeah, in the been, playoffs. They've been changing their defense. Then it's okay. They've been using more switching concepts, which um, Bud doesn't usually like to do. He's more traditional defensively, which right. you know you have to do in the playoffs. They've been, you know, they've been doing that a little bit. And then they did rebuild their whole bench. Um, and I'm not, I think they're still figuring out that second unit. Talking to people within the organization, that seems to be a crux of two years ago, especially to some degree last year, their depth was an enormous advantage that they had. 
now figuring out how those pieces pass their starting five. Plus, you know, Pat Connaughton has struggled a little bit on and off this year. He was so important for them in their playoff runs in the past. That's going to be important for them is figuring that out. That seems to be they're, where, where they're, they're struggling. Still a, they're still a team that really wants to protect the paint more than anything and will allow outside shots. And it, sometimes it drives people crazy the way Brooke Lopez just sits back in the paint and does not challenge and he gets floaters shot over him and they allow three that, you know, they will, they'd rather give up a, a good, an open three than an, than an open shot in the, in the lane. And they do that to, and, you know, that, that is not the style of defense that is favored by today's teams, but it works and that's hard to go away from. And it's hard for Bud to go away from, but I do think that if you watch them, they, they have changed. They, they, they are experimenting a little bit. It's interesting, Dave, that their, you know, their moniker is, you know, fear the deer, but they haven't been a team that has scared teams last year. Like, I feel like when Miami went to play them in the playoffs, Miami was like, we can beat these guys because they'd had some success against them in the regular season. Despite their robust numbers, they have not, you know, they have not intimidated other teams. And I don't know if that's changing anytime soon until they actually beat a team that they're not supposed to beat. Or that they beat a team that you know may may be a bad matchup for them or something where Giannis sort of takes it from the opposition, and that's what it comes down to. And and sometimes it the basketball the game of basketball will be pretty simple. If your superstar has a deficiency, and the team he's going up against in the playoffs is scheming to exploit that deficiency as many times possible during the course of a forty-eight minute game. You're going to have a hard time advancing, and listen, he he's incredible in many aspects of the game. He's not a good enough shooter, and quite frankly, as a playmaker, there's he's leaving some stuff to be desired there. Now, I think he's made more strides as a playmaker than as a shooter. But if that is your your key piece, and there's some deficiencies, and then your second best piece, Middleton, who's a great scorer, a great shooter, uh, but relies on others to set it up for him. And then your your reclaimed center in Brook Lopez, who was a all-star in a former life playing a different style. Most of his shots require someone to set them up uh, for him. It allows a defense to just latch on and dictate what you do, uh, especially when they scout you so well in the playoffs. And, you know, I, I think Connaughton you know, a live body who has some playmaking ability. You know, they need guys like him and DiVincenzo. And um, you know, I, I think Bobby Portis this year has been somewhat encouraging because mm -hmm. he does have that, you know, athleticism and, and uh, ability to give them a little bit of an X factor. But LeBron went through it. Other s stars have gone through it. If Giannis isn't going to make consistent jump shots, this team's going to be a lot easier for uh, opponents to, to pick apart in the playoffs. So Giannis's numbers again are um, they're fantastic. He's playing more minutes a game this year, about two more minutes a game to try to uh, better condition himself for the playoffs, which he thought was an issue when they were protecting his minutes so much. He's averaging 27 points down from 30, but you know, still pretty good. He's averaging 1.2 blocks, which is slightly up from last year. He's averaging six assists. 11 rebounds, slightly down from last year. He's shooting a higher percentage overall. His free throws um, have gone down, but it's back to over 60%. He was down in the 50s for a while. He's having a you know, great season, but yet, Malika, I don't 
because of what's happened in the playoffs the last two years, I don't think Giannis is sort of eligible to win the MVP. And I know it's a regular season award, and technically this is a regular season, but my feel in it's my feel as a voter, as somebody who's voted for him for MVP, I feel that I don't think I don't think he's really eligible to win it until he proves he can do it in the playoffs. I know it doesn't make sense and it's not fair, but I don't think he's on the ballot right now, despite those great numbers. Well, winning three MVPs in a row to win three consecutive MVPs, you need to do Giannis is the numbers you just read off. Giannis has set himself up, so his baseline is incredible. So in order to win, the, the, thinking of winning three MVPs in a row, the bar to do that is, it is so high. I mean, it is so high. He won back-to-back league MVPs. Winning a third, he's, he has even said, he said, I don't want to be the MVP until I'm a champion. He knows. And I think he's right. <laughs> well, it's a good, it's, I'm glad he feels that way, Dave, because I think that's unfortunately probably the way it's going to go for him. I mean, it's only been Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, and Larry Yeah, I was going to say, who are the guys? Yeah, right. that's a pretty – that's a high bar. Giannis is uh, a wonderful young player, 26 years old. Uh, can be a menace defensively and great in the open court. But there's a level he – has to reach in, in the half court and hopefully he does uh, because then it makes his journey all that more interesting for all of us paying attention you know you repeatedly hit your head against the ceiling and then you break through uh, he's going to have to break through and I I think as great as he's been he doesn't deserve the two MVPs he already has uh, you know maybe one of them but, uh, but certainly not two well, I have to say, you and I uh, locked horns on that, as I've done with many people, including Kendra Perkins. I do not regret my vote for him last year for MVP. I think he was the MVP of the regular season. Uh, but I have to say that it is a challenging position to have in this moment. Uh, I'm not changing my vote. I can't change my vote. It doesn't matter. The MVP has been awarded. Um, but uh, it's a tough position to defend right now. I agree. I agree, especially because LeBron's performance in the playoffs uh, and in the bubble, by the way, because, um, you know, the the voting was essentially established before the bubble. Um, I was just hoping to get you to eat both chicken wings and crow on Super Bowl Sunday. Can you just do um, it for me? I actually don't like chicken wings. And so um, – how do you not like chicken yeah. wings? I don't know. I just I don't I don't like barbecue sauce, so it's just you know. <laughs> um, that's right. But, I would rather you not eat them than eat plain wings, though. But so it's not. Fair. It's like I can't sit here. It's not an easy. I I don't have a good defense. Like my defense is his stats and his performance last year in the regular season were just historically great. But, but who's like, better at basketball? Yeah, I agree. I know that's an old argument. It's an old, I, yeah, I, it's a very important argument. We, we're not going to rehash this. I just, I, know. But you I, know, just I, I like can't not do it. So I, I have to like get it out and then we can move. But, on. but I, but I also think that, that it's okay. It's okay to say that it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I also feel like as somebody who's voted for LeBron many, many times, um, it's not right that LeBron has four. He should have more. He should have more. And it's one of the reasons why this year, you know, you can, I'm wide open for criticism on this. Like, as far as I'm concerned, LeBron's going to have to get knocked out as the MVP this year. Like, it's going to have to be, he's going to have to get like secretariat 
He's going to have to outrun him. Because, um, I, and this is kind of what happened with Kobe. You know, the year that Kobe won his MVP, which I think was 2008. 2008. Yep, that's right. I think LeBron was the best player in the league. But the same thing kind of happened. Kobe should have won it a couple times before, but for various reasons, he didn't win it. And it was just like, we have to give it to Kobe. It, it, Kobe has to get it. Um, and uh, I think I voted for LeBron that year, but like Kobe got it. And I was like, you know, I understand. It, 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 in my mind, LeBron's got to get it. <laughs> he's just got to, he's got to get it. And I, that's not, nothing to do with, with Jokic and nothing to do with Embiid. And like, if there's an injury, you know, I hope that doesn't happen. Okay. That may change the, the dynamic, but um, LeBron should have something more than four. Just like I, and I've gotten destroyed for this take that I'm about to have here. Um, <laughs> oh, but, goody. Um, that the championship in 2016 in Cleveland was worth something more than one. It's not worth two, but it, that championship and the dynamics that went into that made it a gold star title. And in people who want to do the counting, you know, with Kobe or with Jordan or whatever, it just, it, people square off. It, it's got a, it's got a star on it. And I just think LeBron's four MVPs have a star on it because it should be, he's worth something more than four MVPs. And that's just the way that it is. And I, he, I don't he know would how to tell you that the, that the bubble championship would also deserve a star. Yeah. I know he has said that. I don't think it. It's unique. We gotta, we gotta be maybe further away from it before we totally understand. Yeah. I mean, so what do you think, Dave, you were, you covered both of those very intimately. I mean, well, obviously, the the sixteen championship. I agree with that. The sixteen it, last year, they were the best team. Right. At the end of the day, they were the best team. Uh, he rose that team above in sixteen. Uh, I don't. I don't like. It's impossible. I tell you what. When you when you're going to have an argument with LeBron, um, and it's in his it's in his sphere, he's probably going to outmaneuver you most of the time. Um. He just had a, he just got into it with somebody out in the world on something recently. What was it? I can't remember. Like, just be very careful having a basketball argument with LeBron because <laughs> he's going to have all those his fans on his side. Plus, he dominates basketball. Plus, he dominates social media. Um, what did he have just in the last week? Brian, help me out because now I'm I'm perplexed and and my curiosity has peaked. Something on Twitter. Um, that narrows it down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was. Um, I'm looking up a Twitter right now. Um, oh, it was the it was the courtside, the woman in Atlanta, the courtside woman in Atlanta, where he called her courtside Karen. Oh yes. Like like regardless of like he may have been a little bit out of line some of the stuff that he said to her, but like on a basketball court and then in social media, he's winning that. Forget it. Got it. You're not right. you're not going to outmaneuver him like. I may be out, out maybe out may be able to, to outmaneuver him on the golf course. I may be able to outmaneuver him like when it comes to like writing books, because the one book that he kind of co-authored was not so great. Um, <laughs> but I'm not gonna outmaneuver him when it comes to defending position for MVP. Um, it just, you know, it's it's a very, you know, if you've talked to LeBron and had arguments with him like about matters, you will you would understand this, Dave. You can back me up on this. Like when he has the, when he has position on you, he will just put you down. Like mm. it's, it's not, it's kind of like trying to defend him and, you know, on the court, he's got, he gets position on you. It's curtains. You just, you're going to just get embarrassed. Um, and so like when he says it's the bubble championship is up there, 
like he may be able to provide lots of like if we were in a debate, he he might win the debate for the crowd that's watching. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with him on that one. So wouldn't be the first time we disagreed. Um, as a reminder, you guys can all tune into The Jump on weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, or you can check out The Jump's podcast, where you can listen to exclusive podcast-only content wherever you get your podcasts or where you're listening to this podcast right here. Thank you to Malika. Thank you to Dave. Thank you to Troy Farkas, who is putting this podcast together. Hope you have a good week, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Hoop Collective. Mm-hmm.